1: area and you're an african-american or any american uh but 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 an african-american specifically and you are a firearms owner or you are interested in firearms uh then the maga convention at the atlanta convention center near the airport is a place for you it's going on all day today uh tomorrow they're going to be at stoddard's gun range uh, which is near the atlantic station area if you live in atlanta you know that that area pretty well You can go to naga.co to find out more. That's N-A-A-G-A dot I would recommend it. yesterday there were hundreds of African-Americans in black and tie, a black tie rather, women were just so beautiful uh, celebrating the history of black people and, and gun ownership in the United States. And oftentimes in this country, when we talk about our history, we talk about the civil rights struggle and how we were just so peaceful and how. You know, we we sort of I wouldn't say acquiesce, but I'll just say we were we were peaceful protesters in terms of gaining our freedom, and that is just a very small fraction of the of 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 our history. Uh, there are a lot of records and accounts of of slaves uh, taking guns to free themselves. There are a lot of accounts of other black people from stagecoach to Frederick Douglass. Uh, and so many others who use firearms or advocated for gun ownership among Black people as a means of self defense. There are so many stories of Black people in the South, various communities, using arms to fend and fight off against racist members of the Ku Klux Klan. You have the Deacons of Defense, who some historians state if it were not for the Deacons of Defense, the Civil Rights Movement may not have been so effective because many whites were afraid of Black people getting in arms and saying, you know, we're sick of this. So it's like, okay, well, it's better off to work with the peaceful Black people than they have to deal with Black people who are saying, we have we have had enough. And so we, our history is important. You need to know that history uh, because if you don't know history, then it has a really eerie chance of repeating itself. So again, if you're in Atlanta, go to naaga.co, naga.co. The national uh, convention, the first ever is in Atlanta. There are dozens of Black people here of every political persuasion Um, under uh, the idea of Black self-defense. And I think that is very, very important. No matter how you feel about gun ownership, uh, we need to preserve our right to bear arms. We have perhaps one of the most treacherous uh, historic records in this country outside of Native Americans. And so if you are not of the mindset that you should defend yourself, then I would call you a naive individual. And that is with all due respect. But now that I've gotten that out of the way, My guest uh, for today's show is a good friend. Today is a part of my Center Clip Saturday. Go to centerclip.com and check out Center Clip. It's a great place where you can go to hear from incredible voices on the left, on the right, and in the middle about politics, about culture, about business, about technology. Uh, Joel Rubin, a former appointee of the Obama administration, deputy assistant secretary uh, of state, a brilliant guy, has advised several Democratic uh, candidates, including Uh, The current uh, occupant, President Joe Biden, Uh, he is one of the most brilliant individuals I've had the opportunity of befriending. He is an expert on all things foreign policy. And I would even go as far and he may laugh at me by saying this, but I would go as far as he's an expert on domestic policy as well. Well, I'm bringing him back on the show, guys, because he just recently announced his candidacy uh, for Congress. This is Joe's second run. He's running, uh, will be running for Maryland's uh, 6th Congressional District. And as I told Joel before we went live, he and I may have different political beliefs, but I'm always of the mindset of this, ladies and gentlemen. We need to have good people in politics in general. Whether you are a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, wherever you may fall on the ideological spectrum, we just need people who care. About politics and who are willing to work with people who may differ to say, hey, we differ on some of these issues, but let's figure out where we agree to move the needle forward for the greatest number of Americans, where Joel Rubin, in my opinion, is one of those individuals. Joe, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, sure, Michael. I'm so honored to not just be here, but also humbled to hear your your kind introduction, your kind words uh, back at you, your you're genius at, at communications and in bringing people in, being inclusive and sharing a diverse perspective on issues in a media environment that doesn't always reward people who are uh, nuanced and smart and coming from multiple uh, perspectives. Well, congrats to you because you deserve all the success you're getting and, and it's great to be with you.
1: Thank you, man. I, I really do try, Joel. I think it's so important. And and we are, we're in our, our tribes. We are for a whole host of reasons. And we don't trust each other, Joel. Democrats don't trust Republicans. Republicans don't trust Democrats. I think a lot of Americans, perhaps even a growing percent of Americans really view the other side as being an adversarial threat to their very existence. That's concerning to me, and you would know this perhaps even greater than I, Joel, as someone who studies uh, other emerging democracies or emerging nations, I should say. You've seen as you've traveled the world where this leads, Joel. And so I think it's important for me as a conservative to say we need people like you on the other side who we may not agree on everything, but you're a good guy, and I know you care about people, and I know. If I were to live in your district and I would say, hey, you know, my congressman doesn't vote every way I would want, but I know my congressman at the end of the day is going to try to make the best decisions for me or, or for most people in our district. And hopefully there are going to be some decisions I do agree with. But, but principally, he's concerned about the interest of all people. And I think you're that kind of a guy, man. And so that's why I wanted to bring you back on to talk about your candidacy, because we have too many extreme candidates running for office. People are sick of this Joe. We we want some level of sanity, man, to return. So as we think about that, talk to us about why you've decided to run again because you're a busy guy. You're advising the White House. I know for a fact you're advising uh, members. Uh, You're advising other stakeholders in business. You could be doing a lot of other things to take care of yourself and your family and your children who at some point will be going off to college. And yet you're saying, my duty to this country, is not over yet. I'm going to throw my hat back into this political circus as it is, Joel. Explain <laughs> to the to, to my audience, man, who's all over this country right now, who are listening to this show. They've heard you before, why are you doing this again? Because you don't have to.
0: Well you know Shermichael, I love this country. Um I feel like I'm a patriot. I, I've served uh in 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 Government. I've served our country overseas. I started out as a Peace Corps volunteer uh, in the mid '90s, working in Central America. I'm American Jewish, and I was living in a small rural Catholic village, uh, partnering with people daily on educational projects and environmental work. Um, like what you're describing, you know, I I I see our political system as not just central. To the future of the country, but a broken uh, cog in the wheel right now. And uh, as someone who's been privileged enough to have worked in Washington for a number of years, you know, it's always a humbling experience. Um, I've got more than a couple of decades of experience working with both sides of the aisle. I, I was a civil servant in government during the Bush administration, I was an appointee by President Obama. Uh, I, I, I've won bipartisan awards. I won an award from the Military Officers Association of America, a bipartisan award for work I did as a Senate staffer to protect military healthcare. You know, pre- people want problems solved, and that's what Congress is about. That's how it was designed. That's how the framers designed our brilliant structure of governance of our our try. Uh, I are sort of our 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 tricameral uh, uh, balancing act of three branches of government, you know of Congress and the executive and the judicial branch and and all of that. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? You know, you and I talked about this in a, a, offline and online, and, and I think for for folks who who, who look at Congress from outside, it's, it, it, it looks like it could be a machine. Well, it's not. It's actually just a collection of people, of human beings, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the human beings decide whether or not the system functions, and right now we have human beings in there that are trying to tear it down rather than build it up, and if the system fails, the American people suffer. And I'd like to think that I can come in and bring some experience that not only is problem-solving kind of, of, of expertise, but also a real passion, ultimately, for, for this country and for service and for our communities. I, it, just one more thing on this. Uh, uh,
1: mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm
0: a father of three teenage daughters. I'm 52 years old. Uh, I, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I live in Montgomery County, Maryland. This district actually is sort of in the the middle of the Pittsburgh metro region and the D.C. metro region. It's it's like uh, the top and the bottom of the bun is where I've lived, and now I'm going for the meat, uh, which is to serve and re- and 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 represent the meat of it. And, and this district is in many ways personifies America. It's it's a mixture of rural and urban and suburban. It's probably the most competitive district in the state of Maryland. It's It's a few points plus Democratic. No one takes it for granted on the Democratic side. And so for me, it's also an exciting experience to think about how to represent a district that wants our government to work. And so it matches my kind of mindset towards this, being a practical idealist, uh, uh, looking for ways to help ensure the government takes care of the American people, both at home and uh, advances our, our, our interests abroad. And that's really why I'm running.
1: And, and, and I think that's, that's really important that you sort of laid out the, the case for, for why you're running, your experience and what you see. And, and if, Joe, if, if there are, are any uh, listeners to the show that perhaps live in your district or people who are across the country who just may want to support your campaign, generally speaking, uh, what do you think are the biggest threats facing, facing our, our country? Because you're, you're going to be one member. Out of uh, four thirty-five on the house, five thirty-five in the house, and it all together. Uh, what what do you think you could do, Joe, to move the needle forward to end the, this tribal lock, gridlock that that we have on Congress that's preventing anything, at least on a bipartisan level, from getting done. There are of I know it's a tough question. I know it's a tough question, Joel, and I know it may not even, you know, be partially unfair because fair because again, you are one guy. <laughs> but 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 I I do want to ask because I want to give people an idea of your thought process going into this. How you're going to maneuver if elected.
0: So let me build it out maybe from from a, an example to the bigger picture. Um the role that I had when I served in the Obama administration is I was our deputy assistant secretary of state for legislative affairs to the house. So mm-hmm. basically what that means is I was the, the senior official in the, the state department advocating for our positions to the House of Representatives. So every single day I worked hand in glove with the house on behalf of the Obama administration Turns out that Speaker Boehner ran the House, and he's a Republican. So there I was, working on behalf of the Democratic agenda, but needing to find ways to get things done with the Republican chamber. And so, what I did for the first few weeks when I when I got the job was call people up, walk the halls of Congress, and meet directly all of the key Republican counterparts that I could from the Speaker's office the Majority Leader's Office, the chairman of the key committees that oversaw or oversee the State Department of Foreign Affairs, the Appropriations, then the Armed Services folks, all the way down to key leaders of the core uh, core, um, uh, caucuses, uh, Freedom Caucus, uh, uh, Study Committee, you name it, all these different folks. And then of course, key members as well, who just frankly had an interest in international work because i felt like it was my duty as an american as a civil servant or in the an appointee but working for the american people to make sure that i did everything i could to have the system working and so in all of these meetings i had a couple of key messages i wanted to communicate the biggest one was mm-hmm. i am going to make sure that i always respond to you that i always get you what you need to do your job well if you need a witness for a hearing if you need a response from a letter If you need help in understanding a policy, I'm going to make sure you get a response. I'm going to make sure you can do your job. And it was like, it was like eyes open. And it was funny because we would have these discussions and say, look, I know we're going to debate on issues. We're not going to always agree on how to deal with climate change. We're not going to always agree on what to do about Iran nuclear negotiations. We're definitely not going to see eye to eye on uh, on, on Russia and China in every single way. At that time it, there were a lot of debates. But that doesn't mean we're not going to work together. And so what that did was try to create a dynamic of constructive uh, uh, constructive uh, engagement and constructive uh, uh, debate. And so I turned I, I think I turned around a lot of the relationship, frankly, that we had in the State Department with the House. Uh, there, there. It was pretty harsh. It was pretty harsh, and that was during the Benghazi period. There was a lot of oversight done, but we got a lot done. We ended up getting uh, legislation that helped the State Department included in the Defense Authorization Act. We ended up getting uh, funds appropriated at the levels that we requested. All these things happened because of the relationship building. So that's sort of how I view this. Um, There are big policy pictures and big policy debates. One has to have a view of what they want. But when you have the relationships, you can actually, and when you have the relationships, you can actually advance those issues. You may not get all that you want, but you may get a chunk. What you don't want to be is the person who's just screaming from the rooftops that I have to get everything I want. And unless the other side acquiesces, I'm not going to engage. And then you get nothing. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of the mindset that I bring, that that Congress is like a a repetitive game. Every year, there's the same cycle of funding bills, big authorization bills, hearings. It continues. And the people are generally the same. There is rotation of members, but it's the same repetitive game. So you have to think about how to continually chip away on behalf of your agenda, which is an agenda That helps the American people. And if you can get 75%, that's where you want to go. You don't want to get a 50.1% victory because that's ephemeral. That will disappear and we'll have like the zigzag like Americans are sick of. You know, we, the American people, are sick of a new president comes in, throws out what the previous guy did, and a new one comes in, throws out what the previous guy did. We actually need to have a little less schizophrenia in how the country is governed. And the way to do that, is to seek the 70 to 75% consensus rather than the 50.1% consensus. And so, so that's really how I, I view policymaking.
1: And I think more policymakers need to view things that way. Um, I think about this, and I'm going to go take a quick break after I say this, but I, I remember reading a quote by Immanuel Kant, who's one of my favorite uh, philosophers and political theorists. And Immanuel Kant talked about how too many people seek the approval of uh, approval of the masses and are often wrong versus seeking the approval of those who are right and then he goes on to say because what you ultimately end up realizing is while those who are right appear to be small in numbers initially you often find out they're much larger than what you believed and and i think joe to everything you just said that while we're moving in what appears to be a, a more tribal direction i think a growing number of people in this country realizing you know we kind of got to turn this around this is not sustainable i think there is a growing number of democrats a growing number of republicans a growing number of sort of independents or folks in the middle who are saying we want better we deserve better and Mm -hmm. a part of wanting and deserving better joel means Having conversations with people like you, having a conservative saying, hey, this guy and I don't agree on everything, but this is the kind of a candidate we need who happens to be a Democrat. Having a Democrat saying, hey, I don't agree with this Republican, but this is the type of Republican we need to see more of. To give people those options outside of the extremes uh, that are often shouting in the echo chambers. But this is the Shermichael Singleton Show. My guest, uh, Joel Rubin, is a candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Representatives running in Maryland's sixth congressional district. We'll be right back after this quick break. black people here talking about gun ownership black women are the fastest growing group of gun owners in the united states of america Uh, there is a way to be a gun owner and be responsible and be educated and we need to uh, teach that and preach that specifically in in our communities Uh, again today is my center clip saturday where i bring on a fellow member of center clip joel rubin was just on with me recently uh, talking about ukraine uh, he's a former Obama uh, official, former deputy secretary of state for legislative affairs, dealing with the House. This guy knows legislation. He just recently announced that he is running for Congress. Rubin for Maryland R-U-B-I-N for Maryland Maryland's sixth congressional district. Uh, he is a Democrat, but he's a dear friend of mine. And if I were in the House, it would truly be an honor for me to work with this guy. We would not agree on everything but he's a man of great integrity. He's a man who cares about people. He's a nuanced, objective individual. He's methodical. And those are the types of people we need in the house. We don't need more extremes on the left, whether it's progressive. We don't need more extremes on the right, whether it's populist, nationalist. We need people who are able to be nuanced about politics. Because here's something that I think is very fascinating. And I and, and I'm gonna get with Joel on this because we're gonna talk about a, a policies here. I'm reading a book called Star Messenger, Joel, Cosmic Cosmic Perspectives on Civilization by Neil deGrasse Tyson, Ooh, one of the great scientist. Sounds good. And Dr. Tyson talks in the early chapters of the book about how the breakdown of communication has occurred in this country. And he said, because where we are now, Joel, is that people refute the truth for what they want to be true, even though they know it's not true. And then they parody those things as being true. And he goes on to say in science, we don't do that because in science, we have to be objective. We have to be rational. We have to base our analysis and our assumptions off of evidence. And he goes on to write, we need that level of rationality in our conversations about politics, about culture. And I believe he's right. We have based and justified too much about how we feel. And that's not to say that that subjective truth, and by subjective truth, I mean truth pertaining to the individual doesn't have a place in conversation. But when you're trying to write legislation, you have to base these things off of evidence, off of facts, and not how you feel, ladies and gentlemen. That may be upsetting to some people. But this is why I wanted to bring Joel Rubin back on the show, because this is a guy who looks at the evidence, who looks at the facts. And maybe Joel and I may look at evidence and facts, and and I may say, well, Joel, this is the best way to address this problem. And Joel may say, well, sure, Michael, you know, I love your brother, but I disagree with you on that solution. We agree on the problem, but we have different solutions to the problem that's different than where we are today. We can't even agree, Joel, on if the damn problem is true, real, if it exists, if it doesn't exist, <laughs> people are tired <laughs> of that, Joel. So I, I want to get into some policy stuff, Joel. Um, you mentioned on the break uh, in September, You know, we, we may have another government shutdown. I, I want us to sort of get your mm-hmm. initial thoughts, Joel, on that. And, and how do we fix this? Why does this keep happening, Joel?
0: So there, there's so many ways to think about leverage, right? When it comes to moving legislation, okay. So, mm-hmm. so, so, ultimately, at the end of the day, when members of Congress want to get their priorities done, get something done, they look for ways to build consensus. And they also look for ways to create leverage. And yet, what's happened now is we're seeing. Leverage being used to the extreme. We saw it recently when the debt ceiling crisis occurred—a uh, manufactured crisis, in 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 my mind, from my perspective. But one where mm-hmm. the threat of default was used to try to force certain concessions. And and now, you know, with what you're referring to, with the the potential shutdown at the end of September, a shutdown yeah. would occur mm-hmm. when no money is uh, appropriated by September 30th, the end of the fiscal year, and then. The government's out of money. And that idea, that use of leverage, but that's a symptom of the problem. You know, when you have to end up at the end of the line using the most extreme punishment measures of leverage, it means that you have failed to create an environment for compromise and rational policymaking prior to that moment. And so Mm -hmm. essentially, Mm -hmm. we have uh, extremism driving our policymaking to the point where there's minimal incentive, it appears, for the extremists to hold back, thinking that they can somehow beat the crap out of the other side by threatening Armageddon. That that is no way to make decisions. (laughs) And you know what ends up happening? This is a great tragedy Mm -hmm. of it all. What ends up happening in these leverage situations where the threat of economic destruction or government shutdown is like the Bullet, you know, the, the, the gun uh, 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 put to the head of the negotiators. What happens is that policymaking collapses. There's no yeah, good evidence based policymaking about what the right funding levels are for a certain program or what the right regulations are. None. It's basically backroom dealing. It's it's like it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy of like we don't want bad politics and then all you get are bad politics. It's basically a bunch of people sitting in a, in a room training with each other in order to avoid Armageddon. We got to get away from that. We have committees in Congress with expert staff. We have mm-hmm. committees with jobs. Those committees oversee agencies with thousands of federal employees who are highly qualified and understand issues. There is a way to do this that can so, get yo, us to good policy.
1: Yeah. Would you would you, if elected to Congress, would you be willing to support a bipartisan committee to sort of deal with the debt? So, you know, bring maybe a six Republicans and six Democrats together to say, hey, you know, these two th- these two different sides are going to represent their ideological perspectives and we're going to work together. To craft legislation to sort of help us avoid this, and 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 look, everything is not going to be perfect. Both sides are, aren't going to get everything that they want, uh, but it will be the best to keep the country open uh, to not have a negative impact on the overall economy or workers. Would you be in support of, a, of such a committee? If, 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 if The question, if question were is, why would power?
0: I? Why would why would there only be twelve? There should be four hundred thirty-five members who want to be a member of that committee. That's <laughs> the that. job. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, that's the job. The job is not to spend into oblivion and the job is to not cut into oblivion. The job is to to provide solutions and to do so in a sustainable way, right? Like it's like uh, I love your question. I was thinking as you're asking, I'm like, well, would I love to sit down at the, the the table with my wife and go through our family budget to make sure we're spending what we can afford or not? I don't know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it seems kind <laughs> of simple, right, Joe? <laughs> it
0: is kind of simple. And you know, early in my career, I, I worked uh, on on uh, budget issues in the executive branch, and uh, later on, when I worked in the Senate, I worked on a, on the other side of the budget equation, the appropriation side. So I've kind of been in the guts of the system as it makes decisions about what to request on the from the executive, and then mm-hmm. on the the legislative side, what it agrees to fund, and mm-hmm there are there are ways to do this that match the question is the political pressures on the outside so when someone like yeah, me says yeah. yeah i'll be on that committee you know what happens before i even the ink is dry somebody's sending out press releases saying that reuben wants to uh, uh to cut cut uh, entitlements or reuben oh, wants I to know. raise taxes I know. and then there you go right so so the question is Not what I want to be on that. The question is, what are we going to do to build the political environment that enables us to actually get that kind of work done? And And that's certainly a better
1: approach. I I agree with that. And that's a better approach. Joe, I want to ask you I got a tweet from someone. um, Her name is Storm E. I hope I'm, I I don't know her exact name. You know, sometimes people have unique names on Twitter, but it's it's a woman. She's an Mm African American woman. And she tweeted me, she says, Michael, stop. F Republicans, they're liars. You can't trust them. Uh, Joel, what do you say to people who are on the Democratic side who say, you know, we don't want our members working with Republicans on anything? And this is sort of a part of that, that problem that I know exists. But you may become a member of Congress. And the reality is, and Stormy, I understand your sentiment. Because I also understand how Republicans view, just like you, view them that way. They view you the exact same way, whether you like it or not. Joe, this is not sustainable, man. And these Republicans, the 30% or however many who support Donald Trump or may have, those people, Americans, they're not going away, Joe. And so when I look at Storm E's tweet to me and I understand what it's rooted in and I understand her frustration, what do you say as, as as a potential Democratic lawmaker who may have to work with, with, with Republicans and it's not going to be easy? How, how do you maneuver in, in this environment?
0: A couple of things. First is I ask, do those Republicans pay taxes? Do they serve in our military? Do they teach our children? We're all Americans, right? Now, mm-hmm. there are mm-hmm. people on the Republican side of the aisle. I will put Donald Trump in this bucket who I truly believe are threats to our democracy, and I will stand opposed vigorously to him and his positions, right? But that is the individual level. Once you start getting into the generalization game, you are setting yourself up for for potential... Uh, failure, you're trapping yourself, and you're limiting your options. You know, Politics is additive. That's when you win. You don't win by subtracting. You win by adding. You win by getting more votes. More votes means you succeed. If you push a bill that gets 50 votes on the floor of the House, you know what? You lost. (laughs) You need 218 votes, and you need more than that, frankly. If you want to win a primary, you need to win. If you want to win a general, Mm -hmm. you need Mm -hmm. to get more votes. So The question is is how to ensure that uh, that you are are adding those votes in, and we're not going anywhere. You know, it's funny. I I look at the Israel. I'll just say this. I look at the Israeli Palestinian conflict a lot. I've spent a lot of time on that issue professionally, personally, and there's this sort of like debate that never ends between the sides that really I believe don't want peace, which is they kind of wish the other side will just disappear. Like, everything would be fine if the Palestinians just go away, or everything would be fine if the Israelis just go away. That, guess what? Neither are going away.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, you're that's my have, point. I mean, you're, not, you're, you're not going to have to figure 30% out of the country how to isn't deal gonna with disappear. It. So how do we deal well, with this, Joe? Well, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm honestly asking you this question, because that frustration from that particular person who tweeted me – I travel the country a lot, and I do talk to a lot of Democrats, and and I hear this sentiment a lot, and it's something that I do think about. and, and And when I talk to Republicans, I hear this sentiment a lot from them about Democrats, and I'm thinking, how do you bridge this divide?
0: What you do is you start finding the most practical things that people actually care about. They care about jobs. They care about transportation networks. They care about healthcare. They care about quality schools. Get out of the noise. Put the blinders on. Move away from thinking about, um, you know, for for frankly, anti woke social issues or uh, uh, sort of like religious religious liberty kinds of arguments. Get get away from that. Focus on the nuts and bolts of what most Americans care about, which is putting food on the table, ensuring their kids have a safe community to live in and grow up in, and that, uh, you know what, they're going to be able to actually have some savings in their pocket, and they're going to be able to get to work. Focus on those things that everybody cares about, and then identify and partner with those people on the other side of the aisle who have the same objectives, and sell it, and promote it, and push it. What what happens in our environment is that when the practical stuff that I'm referring to is not succeeding, it creates space for the crazy stuff to dominate the airwaves. And the crazy stuff takes over. And then all of a sudden, we're all jammed. And so then you have a defense bill coming out of the House. It's full of social policy writers that make no sense to, to most mm-hmm. most people who look at them, and they don't match what's in the Senate And now that suddenly becomes our policy rather than the defense bill driving policy for the national security of America. So I think getting back to basics of governance is the way out of this box. There's no magic wand. But when you start identifying practical, hard, real issues that matter to real people and voters, they don't care about the party. You know, I'll I'll just tell you one more thing here. My first time working on the Hill, I was a, a, a Senate fellow in Senator Tom Harkin's office. Tom. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A liberal Democrat in Iowa, right? Liberal Democrat yep. in Iowa. He always got reelected in Iowa. We had an Iowa in of all places, <laughs> of all places, but they loved him. And you know why? He was a senior appropriator and he was bringing home the bacon and he was serving the people every Wednesday morning. He had an Iowa breakfast where anybody who's in Washington from Iowa would show up. And then We had a meeting with Steve King, a far right legislator, came to our office to talk about an issue (laughs) on postal service. I kid you not, though. I went out to Sioux City to talk about not shutting down the post office to a town hall of 300 people who I guarantee most were Republicans and they were cheering Tom Harkin. That can be done. I've seen it. That can be done.
1: Well, Joe, we're going to take a quick break, but my friend, I, I love your optimism, and not only optimism, I, I do think you're right. we got to figure out ways to address this. I know we all could just wish this stuff goes away, but the reality is that is not going to happen. And, you, and, and in my opinion, and some of my viewers and listeners may be upset about this, but you would have to be naive and a fool to believe that that is just the way it's going to work. We're just going to wake up, and everything all of a sudden is going to be perfect. It has never worked that way. And either mm-hmm. we're gonna find ourselves in a country in a conflict that is gonna ruin us, or we better figure out how to fix this crap. And that's just the reality. This is for Michael Singleton, Joe Rubin, my guests. We'll be right back after this quick break. was a senior in high school at the time, I had the chance to go and meet President Obama and listen to him speak and meet him in person and backstage, and I was just so in awe of him and just a brilliant, brilliant thinker. And I remember one of my professors at Morehouse, uh, we've talked about Obama and his philosophy, generally speaking. he was say, you know, Obama is a, you know, really a, a pretty centrist Democrat, philosophically speaking, and certainly one that would probably <laughs> be even considered conservative in, in this current political climate. Uh, And we sort of laugh about that, but what an incredible man, whether you agree with all his politics or not, I just adore the guy. I mean, he, he, to me, represents excellence in every level, just sophistication, just just such a curious mind about the way the world thinks and operates. and, And I was just so impressed with meeting him. And I've since had an opportunity to meet him several other times and I've had the chances to talk with him about politics at various events. And, you know, he's always told me, I've watched you and he said, you know, we need bright minds like yours on the conservative side. So keep going. And this is That's just great. someone that, that that shows me he has a great appreciation uh, for, for thinkers and, and people who view the world differently. We're trying to address the problems that we solve and acknowledge that those things exist, which is why I'm happy you're running for Congress. Now, Joel, we've talked about Congress trying to fix some of the problems. We've talked about why you're running a little bit. Uh, we've talked about, as you said, you looked at uh, the Middle East, for example, and, and you used this sort one of Israel of some folks, and we we'll just wish the Palestinians would just go away, and that is not going to happen. We've got to address that. And you sort of used that comparative to talk about that tweet that I read from the individual who said she just doesn't trust Republicans. She said they're all liars, F all Republicans. And I said, well, look, Joel, that sentiment is out there, but you're talking about 30, 40% of the whole country. These people are not going to just disappear. And you sort of really address on how you would see potentially trying to heal uh, this divide. But I want to talk about your background a little bit here. You're a unique candidate. You bring some great skill sets and specialties to this race, and you would bring those specialties and skill sets to the position if elected. Talk a little bit, Joel, about your background, about your experiences, and what really sort of makes you a, a unique candidate compared to some of the others who may be running.
0: Oh, thanks, for Michael. You know, I, I, um, on a personal level, I grew up in Pittsburgh in Squirrel Hill, which folks may be aware of is the neighborhood where the Tree of Life synagogue uh, massacre occurred. My parents were there actually for Friday night services the night before the the most vile anti-Semitic attack in the history of the United States occurred. 11 people were murdered in the synagogue on Saturday morning. So I grew up in that neighborhood, fifth generation Pittsburgher, come from a family of immigrants who got to the U.S. in the early 1900s, uh, escaping the pogroms and violence in Eastern Europe against the Jewish community. And my neighborhood was and is a place of social activism. There's always a, a vision uh, a, a, a mantra called tikkun olam, heal the world. That was sort of what we grew up thinking. And so for me, I've been blessed to have been able to have engaged in experiences where I served our country overseas as a Peace Corps volunteer, uh, fighting climate change, living in a small rural village, working hand in hand with people uh, in the developing world as productive allies, friends, and, and lifelong partners. I'm still in close touch with the village. I served as a senior national security official, as you mentioned, in the Obama administration, uh, working directly with the House of Representatives, uh, led by Republicans, and, and working on the hardcore issues of, of America's role and standing in the world. And and then also something I'm very proud of is, is I've been elected for six years as a local local government leader uh, in Montgomery County, a town council member, six years Um every every month uh uh weekly meetings for 6 years during the pandemic during a period where we had to guide and and you know at the time prior to that people didn't know who their local government was well during the pandemic you got to know them quite well right uh uh when it came to health protocol and safety ministering elections down to speed bumps and leaf blowers and noise and and crime and transportation issues in in the neighborhood and we also had a lot of hate uh, attacks coming into our neighborhood as well against um, African Americans, Jewish community and, and women that we dealt with as well. So I bring that kind of diverse set of experiences rooted in in values that, that I that I, I, I um, grew up with in, in Pittsburgh. And, and that's what I'm bringing to the race, that kind of diverse skill set, uh, 360 degree skill set. And, and I think that that is something that that will be different from some of the other folks uh, in, in in the primary. And it's mm-hmm. something that that I, I I hope to continue to to use as as I introduce myself to to the the voters.
1: And Joel, not to disparage any of your your other um, opponents that that you will ultimately have to face. But as voters consider you, they learn more about you, they're going to learn more about you. you have an impeccable resume. What would you say would be your greatest skill set as a leader? that you would say this thing above all else makes me ready for this job on day one.
0: You know, honestly, it's the the reality that I have a depth of experience both as a progressive and as someone who's worked across the aisle and I have the receipts Mm -hmm. to prove it. I have a, a track record of accomplishment for more than two decades now that I can point to of work. In service of work in government, of work at the local level, um, as a father, as a dad, and dealing with the kinds of of dynamics that all families face, and so that's to me uh, the most the most um, uh, critical element that I want to make sure I'm communicating, which is that uh, I, I am bringing into this race a track record of of accomplishment, and I'm I'm practiced and 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 ready. On day one. And you know, it's funny, uh, here, Michael, that ready on day one has sort of become like a messaging point that a lot of candidates use. <laughs> and so you'll see it everywhere. That's I had to ask you, Joe. Probably bumper <laughs> stickers. You know, somebody has a T-shirt already made saying, I'm ready on day one. Yeah, OK. Um, and, and I just I just think that we have to kind of look under the hood a little bit and and make sure that that's really accurate and that's something that i'm going to try to communicate as well uh, but you know one of the things that i do want to make sure i point out also is is i i i'm i'm living my values at home my wife is a republican uh, i'm jewish american she's buddhist our daughters uh, three teenage daughters are raising him in a multi-generational household multi-ethnic household we are america uh, we are living like we as a country are living and that means complications. It means complexities. That means problem mm-hmm. solving. It means diversity. And that's something that, that I'm also bringing to this race that I think it's part of like, who do we want to be as a country? When you point out to president Obama, you know, he, when he ran, he loved to talk about Obamacans, right? Republicans who support mm-hmm. Obama. When he got elected to the Senate, the first letter of congratulations he got was from Senator Dick Luger, the Republican of Indiana, Republican. who invited him mm-hmm. to join the Foreign Relations Committee. So that's how we got to do it, right? And that's sort of the mindset that I'm bringing uh, and, and sort of um, the, the vision of the candidacy is, is how do we make sure that we're being inclusive, that we're being open, that we're working with diversity, and that we have the ability to, to get things done and a track record that actually proves that we have uh, have gotten things done and 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 executed effectively on behalf of of the communities that we've been working on behalf of.
1: Well, you definitely have the track record. I mean, <laughs> you are a Democrat, you are progressive. That track record speaks for itself. And you know, as I said, man, I, I've just always been of the belief that I don't have to agree with everyone and everything, but I always think it's important to talk to people and. I always, you know, a lot of my Republican friends would joke with me. They say, "Man, I don't understand how you have so many Democratic friends." And I just say, "Well, it's never bothered me." And my friends and I, we talk politics, and I have friends who are really progressive. Joey, one of my favorite professors at Morehouse, uh, he's a Democratic socialist, Dr. Ilya Davis, and and I always, I always say that Dr. Davis has probably had the greatest impact on me intellectually as a conservative and actually understanding the philosophical tenets of, of conservatism, which are so far removed, Joel, as you know, from the Republican Party today. (laughs) And he's a Democratic Socialist. And I love that guy to death uh, because he's a brilliant thinker. And I I just appreciate people like you. And, man, I, I just hope, Joel, that, you know, the voters there, even the conservative voters, I hope they listen and give you a shot because maybe they won't agree with anything. But integrity matters, man. And I would rather have someone who is of a different party, who I may not agree with all the time, but has integrity and is going to do the right thing all of the time than someone who has the same party, but is going to go there and be an extremist and not get anything done because that adds no value for anybody.
0: It adds no value for anybody. It's uh, it's sort of, a, uh, I think it, it, it's egotistical. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, that's it's about sure. them rather than about us. You know, at the end of the day, when you are in Congress uh, as a staffer and as a member, it's about the collective. We it's who you represent. It's about the American people. It's not about you as the individual, but you as an individual can make the change on behalf of all of us. You're sent by a group of people, a, a, a district, but you work on national issues and Just you know, making it about yourself all the time, Uh, you might might as well just you know write your own blog or have 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 your own sort of uh, platform. Be like Steve Bannon. I don't know. That's fine. Look, I love I look I love what you're doing. I love what we're doing. I love going on TV. There's absolutely nothing wrong with 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 that exercise and that work. Um, But when you're in Congress, that's not your job. (laughs) When you're in Congress, your job is to make things happen for the American people and uh, be strong and be open and be flexible and and to to, to be able to go and speak with uh, people who are different and 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 listen to them and take their concerns to heart and work with it. That these days bipartisans is viewed as traitorous. Well it's not. It's called patriotic. That's what it is.
1: No, and I, I think you're right and I hope we go back to those days of Luger. Congratulating a newly elected senator Obama and said, "Hey, you should join the Foreign Relations Committee," which he did. It was the youngest member on Foreign Relations. Um, but that, you know, that's Obama, just that's an right. impressive guy, and that's why he appointed people like you because you're equally as impressive. Joel, where can people go to find out more about your candidacy if they want to support you? Give out, give us that information.
0: Oh, thanks, for Michael. So uh you mentioned it before. My website is RubenForMaryland.com, R U B I N F O R Maryland.com. You could follow me on Twitter or X or whatever it's called at Joel Martin Rubin. <laughs> 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 and my socials are up there as well. But RubenForMarylland.com is the best place to find me and, and see see uh
1: see what we're about and hopefully to to earn people's support. Well guys, I would say check out Joel and you know look. Again, as I said, you know, our politics may be a little different, but I have so many friends uh, who are like-minded like Joel. They're good people. They're working hard. I know a lot of my listeners are Democrats, uh, and that's okay with me. I've never really been bothered by that. I think diversity of thought and opinion are critically important to moving the needle forward, as long as we're all willing to have objective truth. Now, I think, you know, when we can't agree on what the truth is and what facts are, and that's when we got a problem. And, and I have issues with that, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, uh, which is why I think, Joel, your candidacy is all the more important. We need people like you, whether you're a progressive, Democrat or Republican, we need those voices. Uh, and I, I just don't think we're seeing enough of it, particularly on the Republican side, unfortunately, Joel. And man, I, I just hope that there's a reset. And, and, and I don't know when that reset's going to occur, uh, but I think it's necessary.
0: Well, you know, we are the change. You are the change. You are creating the change right now by getting in people's thought processes about what kind of country we should have. We all have ownership well, of I don't know if words all Republicans that come out of our mouths. Me,
1: well, <laughs> it, chipping away,
0: buddy, chipping away, because the people listening to you have family members who may need to hear it from them. You know, it, 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 you're, you're creating ripples and um, we all have to own it. We all are responsible for the kind of environment, the kind of world, the kind of government, the kind of country we live in, every single one of us. And, uh, and it, it's pushing back and creating the kind of dynamics you're talking about. That's crucial.
1: I think you're right. Uh, my guest today, Joel Rubin, running for Congress, worked under the Obama administration. Rubin from Maryland.com. Check him out.